2 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 1, I'm going to read down through verse 9. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me as prisoner. Be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You know, we live in a day of lukewarm, impractical Christian experience. It's a time when the average professional Christian life is not impacted by the teaching and commandments of the Bible. Few have a living, genuine, vibrant faith in God that directs their life. It is rather a God in theory and not in reality. But Paul here, writing to Timothy, who he called his son in the faith, speaks of the unfeigned faith that was first in his grandmother and then his mother and in Timothy also. So the title of the message this morning is, your, Is Your Faith Real? Is it unfeigned? That's what unfeigned means, real, sincere. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, for that we can have the word of God in our own language. We each have a copy. Thank you for the easy access we have to it. That we can study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Father, we thank you that through the word of God we can know that we are truly born again by the Spirit of God. We can know that we have eternal life. And I pray, Father, to be in our midst this morning, who do not have that assurance. Do not have certainty of life in Christ. I pray that the Spirit of God would bring conviction and repentance today and faith in Christ. Father, I pray that you help us as your people to live in a way that demonstrates that truly we have been born again of the Spirit of God. Have your will in your way. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So is your faith real? Is it genuine? You know, Paul here talks about the unfeigned faith that was in Timothy's grandmother Lois and then his mother Eunice. 
And that was, he said, I'm persuaded in thee also. Of course, that unfeigned means it's undisguised. It's sincere. It is real. It is genuine. And if a person has real, genuine faith, it is going to show itself. One of the things that Jesus said in Matthew 7 two times was, By their fruits ye shall what? Know them. You shall know them. So this morning we'll look at some things that give evidence that our faith is real. First of all, uh, we give evidence of a genuine, real faith by our giving. In verse 6 he says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. He told him to stir up the gift of God. God had gifted Timothy, and he was to give himself in service to God using the gift God had given him. We see here in verse 9, it says, Who saved us, that's God of course, and called us, or, or chosen us, with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So God had given Timothy a gift, and Timothy was to give himself in using that gift that God had given him to serve the Lord. Of course, we know Timothy was called to the ministry. And Paul told, uh, tells Timothy, you know, here even this in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He told him in verses 24 to 26, the servant of the Lord or the minister of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. You know, as we minister to people and witness to people, we need to do it with, we must be gentle and patient and teach the truth. Chapter 3, verse 14. He says, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So if you're going to use this gift, you're going to give yourself to many, you've got to continue in the things that you have learned and has been assured of. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, He charged thee therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now, maybe you aren't called to the ministry, but God has gifted you in some way, and you need to use what God has given you, the talents and abilities God has given you, for His glory. Make full proof of those. Give yourself in service to God. This is real genuine proof that we are born again. Give yourself to what the Lord's purpose is for your life, even through difficult circumstances, as is stated here in this, in this passage. This is what proves your faith is real. Your Timothy understood 
this principle. He understood. He, he experienced the afflictions that Paul experienced. Now, he didn't go through everything Paul went through. But he was one that traveled with Paul. Now, we don't hear about Timothy's afflictions, but I want you to, to, to journey with me a little bit this morning. Go back to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we, fall, we find where Paul meets Timothy. In uh, Acts 16, 1, it says, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, well, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So him would have Paul go with, forth with him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew all that his father was a Greek. So here Paul meets Timothy, and he's well reported of. He's already serving the Lord. And he's, he's, a, he's somebody that's well reported of. And Paul desires that he would go with him or join his missionary team. And he does. And verse 12, they come to Philippi. Do you remember what happens in Philippi? There's an insurrection made. And Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. Now, it doesn't say anything about Timothy. But this we do know, that Timothy went to Philippi with Paul and Silas. So did Luke. Actually, look at verse 12. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, in a colony... And we were in that city abiding certain days. Now, it says we. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke did. Luke was one of Paul's, maybe not constant, but consistent companions. You know, Paul had his own physician travel with him. Dr. Luke went with Paul almost everywhere he went. And you'll find this in, throughout the book of Acts. We, we, we. And it wasn't just Luke. There was, there were, of course, Paul and Silas and Timothy traveled with them at this point. We're going to find Timothy later on that he's, he's mentioned again. In fact, in, uh, uh, when you get to uh, Berea, chapter 17, brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who come hither, went into the synagogue of the Jews, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica that received the word with all readiness of mind, searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Uh, but verse 13, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge of the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stood up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but T Silas and Timotheus abode there still. So we see here, Timothy here is, is stated, name is stated in this instance. And, and so... <coughs> You know, Timothy understood the afflictions, though it was Paul and Silas who got arrested at Philippi, were thrown into the prison, and, and, and uh, beaten with many stripes. We don't know what happened to Timothy and Luke. But you know, if, if, if somebody's got a bear in their saddle against Lighthouse Baptist Church, and they come to do us harm, who do you think they're going to arrest? All of you? See, they're going to think, the natural thinking is, if we shut the preacher up, the rest will scatter. So that's what they were doing. Now I imagine Timothy was noted with Paul and Silas as well as Luke. He may have gotten roughed up. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Because the focus at this point isn't on Timothy. 
It's on Paul. That's the focal point. But now, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he talks about those that he was a partaker. Verse 8 says, a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Timothy understood what it was to experience afflictions of the gospel, and he knew how to endure those afflictions, and it showed the world that his faith was real. He didn't give up, quit, and go home. Or go someplace else. Hey, there were other places to go in those days. They could have went to the Judaizers. Because the persecutors left them alone. You know, so some, many times people come to a church like this and something rubs them the wrong way, so they go to something that's more comfortable. Timothy didn't do that. He chose to suffer afflictions with the gospel. In 2 Timothy 1.8 here, he, Paul tells him, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. That means to suffer hardness together. You know, if you're giving yourself the Lord in, in his keeping, you endure the afflictions of the gospel. The hardships. It means giving of your finances for the work of the Lord. You know, it was the, the churches of Macedonia that gave to the needs of Paul and his team. And it, the Bible says there they first gave themselves to the Lord. If our, if our faith is real, if it's genuine, if we really believe God's word and believe that, that, that the, the purpose of God for a church is to send the gospel into all the world, we're going to give of our resources to get the gospel into all the world. Of our talents, our time. You know, I praise the Lord for the sacrificial giving of Lighthouse Baptist Church. God has richly blessed us. But it demonstrates a value you have placed on the ministry of the Lord's church. Giving. So real faith is demonstrated by our giving ourselves to the Lord. Secondly, it's, get, it's demonstrated or shown by our living for the Lord. Our living for the Lord. Again, verses 8 and 9. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You know, if we have experienced the new birth, we've received the life of God, it will show in how we live. It will show in how we live. You know, Paul's saying here, and particularly in verse 9, that God has called us with a holy calling, and it's not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Do you understand that God had a purpose for your life before the world began? Now you may think, I'm, 
I'm not important. I'm insignificant. My life doesn't matter. It matters to God. He had a purpose for your life before the world began. But it's His own purpose. It's His own purpose. We're not to live life according to our own will and our own way and our own wants and our own desires. You know, to, to, to have received the new birth, new birth, to begin receive the life of God is to have a new purpose. It's to have a new master, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. When, the old, when, 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 when you get saved, the old master is to be put to death. Notice it says, not according to our works. We're going to put that old master to death. You know, Paul talks about this in many other places. In fact, in Romans chapter 6 and verses 11 through 14, Romans 6, 11 through 14, he says, Likewise, reckon, that is, the idea is there to, to declare, reckon yourselves also to be, also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So if you've been if you've received the life of God, if you've been born again, he says you're to reckon your old man dead and you yield yourselves unto God as if you are alive from the dead because you are alive from the dead. You've been given the life of God. And with that life of God comes the power of God to overcome sin and not allow it to have dominion over you anymore. We find this in Ephesians chapter 4. You know, again, it's, it's throughout the Scriptures. Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. You know, walking through life without a purpose, without meaning. Yeah, I know people that are old. You know, I'm getting to that category. But that are old. And, and they've come to their senior years, and, and they, they're looking back on life, and they, they have no hope. They have no purpose. They, they, they look at life as it has been and say, for what? For what? And I look at mine. Look at my children. And I say it's been worth it. It's been difficult times. But it's been worth it. You see, we're not to walk in the vanity of our minds. Like the Gentiles, having no purpose. Having the understanding darkened, verse 18. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. They've given themselves to their own natural passions. 
But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be ye have heard him and hath been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man. So put off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, and wherefore put away lying, speak remember truth to his neighbor, we are members one of another, be angry and sin not, let us and son to get down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give him to him that needeth, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So we're to, we're to put off the old man, reckon the old man dead, and live unto God, our new master. Colossians 3. And, and you know, again, this is, this is throughout the scriptures. You could find this principle in probably every book of the New Testament. Colossians 3 and verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, since ye are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. That's really what that means. Since ye are risen with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ sitteth, on the right hand of God. Set your affection, your devotion on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And the next word is mortify. And that means to reckon or declare dead. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Your flesh. See, we, we have a new master, and we are his servants. It is concerning that many who profess to know God are not interested in knowing what that God they claim to know thinks about their speech. But God says, Ephesians 4.29, Let no filthy communication proceed out of thy mouth. But that which is good, the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearers. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Matthew 12, 36 and 37. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And of course, the commandment says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. But it's sad to hear Christians using God's name in vain. Well, at least they say they're Christians. Or using minstos, which is really taking the name of the Lord in vain. I mean, look them up at the dictionary. It means the same thing. You know, God says he's magnified his word above his name. We be careful about taking the Lord's name in vain. You know, God is concerned about our speech, what we say. You know, words are like apples of gold and pictures of silver, Proverbs says. There's power, there's life and death in the, in the tongue. And we'd be careful about our words. 
See, God, God's concerned about our speech. He's concerned about our dress or what clothing we wear or don't wear, we should say, some people. Now, many here are going to label me a prude. Well, so be it. The Bible says enough about dress attire to give some specifics. Deuteronomy 22.5 says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. 1 Timothy 2.9, Like manner also, and notice it says, In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. The woman which professeth godliness. The word modest here means well arranged. You should look. God wants us to dress, have our clothing well arranged. In other words, look orderly, neat. That's really what that means there. The word shamefacedness means bashfulness, particularly towards men and towards God or towards God. It speaks of awe, of reverence. And the idea here is being careful out of respect, particularly ladies, out of respect for men, but men for women also, because that's becoming a problem in our society, not to dress in a way to provoke immoral thoughts. Now, if you'd ask every man in here, and he go, as he goes out in the world day after day, there are women that dress in ways that are going to provoke immoral thoughts in his mind. Proverbs 7 talks about the attire of a harlot. And the purpose of that attire is to stir up sensual thoughts and desires in a man. Proverbs 7.10 says, Behold, there met him a, a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. It's seductive clothing. It accentuates the body parts that attract the eyes uh, 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 through immodest apparel. See, God cares how you appear. Not just women, but men also. You know, sometimes girls ooh and all over man's muscles and his physique, you know, that he shows off for them to see. He cares how you appear, and he cares what is emphasized in your appearance. Look at First Timothy or First Peter chapter three and, and verse. 1 through 4, <clears throat> 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4, says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any be not the word, they, may, they also may without the word by one by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning has to do with things you put on. Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, or wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel. Now, he's not saying you can't plait your hair. He's not saying you can't wear ornaments. But he said, don't let that be what is the focal point. I mean, after all, he wants you to put on apparel. Right? Yeah. He wants you to put on apparel. But it shouldn't draw attention to that. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price.
you know, it is refreshing, I will say this, it's refreshing to come to preach at a church where women dress in a way that it doesn't provoke or cause trouble with your thoughts. Thank you, ladies. But that's not always true. And so we're not to dress. God doesn't want us, and I say us, men and women, dressing in ways that show off parts of the body that would arouse feelings or desires in others. You know, you can show off your manly physique to woo, for women to woo and awe. You know, Isaiah 47. Go to Isaiah 47. This, this was interesting to me. Isaiah 47. You might say, well, some of that's Old Testament preacher. Yeah, well, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isaiah 47, verses 1 through 3. And he's talking about bringing judgment upon his people. And nakedness is part of the judgment. Come down, Isaiah 47, 1. And sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Now, if you consider, he's he's talking to Babylon here as if it's a woman, and he said you're not going to be called tender and delicate. Now, how do you treat somebody, something or someone who you consider tender and delicate? You treat them with care and respect and kindness. But notice how this is going to be treated. Take the millstones, grind the meal, uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. See, God's saying, I'm going to uncover your nakedness. I'm going to bring judgment upon you. And it's like a woman who uncovers her nakedness, and a man will not meet her with respect. I'm not going to meet you as a man. I'm not going to consider you tender and delicate. See, when to dress immodestly, women that dress immodestly are not treated with respect, but as someone to be used or as users of men. Many times women dress as harlots to get something. They're after something. Worldly women dress to attract attention to themselves. It is used to wield power over the minds of men. And Proverbs 27, 26 says, Many strong men have been slain by her. Solomon was led away by outlandish women. It was they dressed provocatively. So was Samson. You know, the feminist movement has robbed women of the respect men had for them. See, God cares. God cares. He's concerned how we dress, men and women. You know, it's alarming to me that the vast majority of Christians think God doesn't give a rip about that. 
our faith is real, it's demonstrated as real by how we, by our habits, how we spend our time. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, he tells him, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. The word attention means there to devote some thought and effort to. Attendance. Ephesians 4.23, the Bible tells us to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see, if, we have, if our faith is real and genuine, it's going to be demonstrated by spending some time with the Lord. Now you might say, well, preacher, I'm busy. Yeah, I know. We live in a busy world. That's part of the devil's tactic of destruction. Do you have time to watch TV? YouTube videos? Podcasts, sports, really entertaining books. You have time to read the words of the living God, too. In fact, you've got time to eat. Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So according to Brother Job, if you have time to eat, you've got time for the word of God. Because it is actually more important, Job said, than the food that I eat. You see, you wonder how Job sustained his life and his integrity through all the things he suffered? It was because of the importance of the Word of God to him. You know, I know we live in a day with so many distractions. We also live in a day of the easiest access to the Word of God. We all have our own copy. And we can all take it with us. I mean, we can, we can take it with us. And all we have to do is pull out the phone and hit a few buttons and it'll... The Epistle of Jude. The servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Yeah, you can be driving down the road and do that. You can be on the job if you work by yourself and do this. In fact, you can be at home and have your Bible open and to be reading along and listening to somebody read it. Maybe you're not a good reader, but you can be reading along. By the way, they say that increases the, the retaining of it if you hear it and see it. That might be a good practice to do. See, we have it so, we're so accessible. So what is our excuse? You know what the problem is? The flesh doesn't like it. It's like old Don Green said years ago, the reason people don't want to read the word of God is because the flesh doesn't like it. It's against the flesh. He said 75% of this book is against you. But if you really want to know God, if you want to get a complete picture of who He is, you've got to read the Bible through. By the way, I'm told it can be read in 45 to 60 hours. 
You know, there's a lot of books we read that are bigger than this. Well, maybe not many of us, but, you know. And here is something that you will find, I believe. If you make time for God's word in your life, he will make time for all the things that really matter in your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, it's amazing how, how that works. If you go God first, he'll take care of all the other things. You see, he'll help you prioritize rightly. So these things demonstrate a real faith in Jesus Christ. I got two more pages. But I'll, I'll scut at that. But God has also given us some resources. You know, God reveals, him through, of course, reveals him, himself through us through his word. You know, through his word, our faith is increased and maintained. Uh, uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen says, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. See, we need to meditate day and night. Psalm 119, verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand, verse 100, I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Psalm 119, verse 130, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. You know, while the scholars are trying to figure out if the world's round or flat... The Bible tells us that the Lord sitteth on the circle of the earth. Well, the, 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 the scientists are trying to figure out a faster way to, 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 uh, uh, for passage through the seas. The Bible tells us there are paths in the seas. And I can't remember the guy's name, but a Christian read that passage and began to study it and found where those paths were in the sea. There's currents in the sea. And if you sail in those currents, will speed your journey in the ocean. We have the Word of God. And we ought to desire it. 1 Peter 2.2 2. And three says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the world, that you may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted, the Lord is gracious. You know, if we have been born again, we ought to have a desire for the word of God like a baby desires milk. We have also the spirit of God in verse 14 of this chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. It says, that good thing which is committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. See, we have the Spirit of God. If we are born again, we have the Spirit of God, and He seals us until the day of redemption. That seal is a, is a mark or a stamp uh, uh, that, the, that confirms that we are gods. You know, in Revelation 7, 3, 
the Bible says, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in our foreheads. And so we are sealed, or we're confirmed that we belong to God. And nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The Spirit of God, that seal, is our security part. He's our assurance that we have eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. He's also our censor. Yeah, your car or truck or whatever you drove here this morning has a lot of sensors on it. And Paul says here, Rose Timothy, he said, the Spirit will keep thy keep that he's gonna he will keep by the Holy Ghost. In other words, the Holy Ghost is gonna be the one that keeps or directs your life. He's the censor. He directs us in a right way. John 16, 13, Jesus said, When he, the Spirit of truth, come, he shall guide you into all truth. So the Spirit of God will direct your understanding of his word in application life. He'll also warn you of danger when you do wrong. Some friends of ours, friends of ours years ago were going to get some senior pictures taken. I think it was for their daughter. And the service engine light in the car came on. What's the service engine light for? It tells you that something is wrong. Attention is needed. Or, of course, if you want to do like they did, it took a black piece of electrician tape and put it over it. But see, it's there for a reason. The spirit is like that check engine light flashing that something is wrong. Examination is needed. You need to examine your way. We need to examine our way in the light of God's Word. But the problem is, if we're not spending time in the Word of God, we're not going to know what that right way is. See, when the engine light comes on, it requires a test, an examination. You know, the Spirit is like a compass, but a compass is useless if you don't know what direction you're supposed to go. And it's the word of God that is a lamp under our feet and light under our path. The third thing, resource we have is the preaching of God's word. Verse 8 and verse 10. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me a prisoner. Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. And verse 10. But now is, made, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death hath brought life or an immortality of light through the gospel. So it's according to the gospel or through the gospel. The gospel is good news. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are Rome also. The gospel is the power of God. He wrote to the church at Corinth, says, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Titus tells us that it's through preaching. God has manifest himself through preaching. In these due times, in these last days. In other words, he's made known his word through preaching. First Thessalonians 5.20 says, Despise not prophesying or preaching. And preaching is to expound or explain the scriptures as to make application to life. If preaching cannot be applied to life, it is really of little value.
So, to have a God that's not interested in your life is a God that's of no consequence. You know, when I read the book of Acts about the early churches, their God was a God of consequence. It, he radically changed their lives. They were willing to live and die for him. When they got persecuted in Jerusalem, the Bible says they went everywhere. And they didn't keep quiet. It says they went everywhere preaching or declaring the gospel. Wherever they went. See, that's because it's who they were. They couldn't separate from themselves the gospel. Because it's who they were. They were children of God. And they couldn't separate the life of God from themselves. We have, we have a world, a, a Christendom today, that thinks that they are, they are Christians, but somehow the commands of God are over here and outside. And do not pertain to them. Just as long as they go to a church on Sunday, put a few dollars in the offering plate or whatever, and do their duties, they think they're okay. They don't care what God thinks about the rest of their week. That is not Christianity according to the scriptures. It's another gospel. It's not real. It's not real. You know, is your faith real? Is it genuine? Is it demonstrated in your life? Jesus said, It's not he that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth it not, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Remember the story of the wise man who built his house upon a rock. And he compared that to the man who hears and does. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 say, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man suppose. And boy, we independent Baptists love to quote that. But we've forgotten about verse 10. Do you know verse 10 follows verse 9? It's in the same context. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in Oh, so that means if I am saved by grace, it ought to show in my life. And if it doesn't show in my life, there's something wrong over here. James 2 says faith without works is dead. So is your faith real? Does your life manifest the works of God? Do you have the witness of the Spirit? Is there a hunger for the Word of God? Is it real? Or is it just a name? 